You're listening to Camayo's Compliance Talk by our in-house compliance expert, Michelle Camayo. Join Michelle on the latest developments, questions, and conversations surrounding employee benefit issues organizations are navigating today. Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. I'm Michelle Camayo. I'm the compliance leader here at Bolton IMA. I'm working with employers on a daily basis, having these practical discussions with employers. I do not give legal advice. And I always like to caution you, if you're listening to this right now, to just be diligent with your updates because there is always new guidance being circulated and of course, even new laws. So be diligent in those updates. Make sure you have sources that can give you up to date information like the Bolton blog, for example, if you subscribe there, then you'll get all of our Bolton blogs. Today, the goal is to help employers address or solve compliance concerns and issues. And Ask Michelle was created to answer questions that are most meaningful to you, our audience member. So I really encourage you to submit any of your questions via that questions toolbar. I will monitor that. And if I don't know the answer, I will get the answer for you. And here we are. We have our new half hour format. This is Ask Michelle. It's part of the Camayo's Compliance Talk series. I'm going to go over some updates, which is, uh, there's a lot of updates right now. I, I know that's not always a good thing, but it does keep it interesting and keeps it exciting. So I want to share a few updates with you. And then I have some questions that were submitted in advance that I'm going to answer on air. If you want me to answer your question, either on air or via email, please feel free at any time throughout the month, you can email askmichelle at boltonco.com. And if you're unable to listen to this entire episode, don't worry, you can download the latest episodes via Apple Podcasts every Tuesday. So a little bit of compliance chatter over the last month since we last held one of these episodes. The first thing is that I'm still hearing a lot of buzz around California long-term care. And I think that makes sense because what I imagine is happening is that there are marketers of long-term care products that are out there using the potential of a program to uh, frankly drum up business. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I want to make sure that what you're receiving and what you're reading is the entire truth because nothing is certain when it comes to a California long-term care program. And when I say California long-term care, I'm talking about a state funded program and, and, and well funded and administered, but it's funded by payroll taxes. So there is a, an LTC task force that formed in California to explore the viability of such a program. We do not have a California long-term care tax or state program. We don't have that. Nothing is certain. If you have an individual that's out there telling you that you need to offer long-term care so that your employees can opt out of the tax, well, first of all, I would challenge that and say, what tax? Because there is no current program and there's not even a bill that's been introduced to even vote on in the legislature. 
and there won't be until at least 2024, which I know is coming up so fast. And then even if there, you know, let's say it was a certainty that there's going to be a bill introduced. We don't know what that text will look like. So we don't know if there will be an opt-out provision. We certainly hope there will be, but we don't know that for sure. So if you're offering a long-term care product for to your employees right now, or you're planning to during this season's open enrollment, I would just caution you to be very careful and don't make statements to the employees that seem to imply that, that purchasing long-term care can help them avoid the tax because we don't know what that would look like. And another topic that came up, California SDI, which is the State Disability Insurance, it has two components. It has paid family leave and then really a short-term disability program. That comprises, those two components are what we call SDI. There are changes coming. So this has received a lot of attention Starting in January of 2024, there will be no more taxable wage ceiling. So for those of you that know this area, you know, if you're connected to payroll, you know that uh, there's a threshold for salary that can be taxed. And if you make over that threshold, you're not taxed on earnings after that threshold. And I believe it's uh, somewhere around 157000 right now is the salary threshold. Starting January 1 in 2024, there is no more wage ceiling. All wages in California will be taxed. And that is going to, that could very well be a significant chunk of change for those that are are making over that wage ceiling. Also in 2025, there are increased benefits under the SDI program, both the short-term disability and the paid family leave benefits are increasing. So that's why they removed the wage ceiling because they need money. The program needs money and uh, the best way they could find to do that was to move that wage ceiling so they get more taxes from those higher wage earners. And they will take that money and then they will increase the SDI and PFL benefits starting in 2025. We did write a blog on that. Hopefully you were able to check that out just to be prepared for what's coming, but I've also linked it here too. The Washington long-term care payroll tax finally began. It was delayed uh, quite a bit for over a year. Uh, Actually, it was delayed twice for over a year and a half, But they say they are now ready. And if you have Washington workers, you should ensure that they are being taxed for the LTC program on their paycheck. And then we have an update from our personal lines department at Bolton IMA. Uh, this This is just completely... I wouldn't say out of the blue, but it wasn't on my radar. And I wanted to share it with you because I was very surprised by it. So a lot of insurers are pulling out of California when it comes to mainly property policies. And that is, is going to be big news to most of us as, as individuals. And then also uh, the property side of that, your, your business policies might be impacted as well. So what we have is um, State Farm closed for new business on property policies in California. And for auto policies, there's a 14-day waiting period. All state, same deal. Farmers 
closed for new business when it comes to renters, condos, landlord, and umbrella policies. And then Geico closed its California sales offices. And actually, that was last year. And they shut down phone lines. So all the business has to be conducted through their website or their mobile app. They did confirm they will still write car insurance for California residents, but it has to be an online transaction. And this is California, so that's a little bit of a market update for personal lines in California. But there are also other states that are experiencing similar pressures. Um, Texas, Colorado, New York, Florida, Louisiana, and we're starting to see more and more. And we do have a personal lines expert here at Bolton, so I don't want you to think that this was uh, all me that has this information in my head. No, I rely on a subject matter expert here. And um, she, she gave us some kind of disturbing news where that this is really, these, these carriers are pulling out largely due to um, climate change that's increasing catastrophic exposure, higher reinsurance costs affecting the entire insurance industry, and global inflation, and then liability and legal system abuse has contributed to this as well. And I, I don't want to scare anyone, but I thought this was crazy. We had one insurer stated that they expect that the market will see an overall 300% increase over the next few years. That is, I thought that was newsworthy. I wanted to share it with you. It's personal lines. So uh, I'm not speaking to, you know, health insurance uh, or anything of that nature. This is strictly personal lines. So that is definitely some chatter that we're hearing. Wanted to give you an update on that. And then we're moving back to a few items under the, the group health plan bucket. First, PCORI fees are due very, very soon, July 31st. So if you are an employer with a self-funded medical plan and or you offer an HRA or an ICRA, or you have one, you must pay PCORI fees via the second quarter form 720. So the form 720 is an IRS form where you pay certain taxes on that form. And you also pay the PCORI fee via that Form 720. And the fees are due July 31st. So if you are listening and you have a self-funded medical plan, or you have an HRA or an ICRA, Individual Coverage HRA, then I hope your ears are perking up and you're saying, oh, I need to make sure that this was paid, that the fees were calculated, and then that this was paid. Federal transparency efforts. I hope you've been paying attention in the last year and a half or two years. There's a huge federal transparency effort right now with regards to health care. The, the bad, there's a good and bad that comes with federal transparency efforts. So essentially the good is it's intended to bring more transparency into the healthcare marketplace, which I think we can all agree. There's no question. There needs to be more transparency. There's too much, you know, cloak and daggers and secrecy. So uh, th this is necessary. But what's happening is these transparency efforts, some of the responsibility is falling on the employer as the sponsor of the group health plan. And that's frustrating because you, as the employer, don't necessarily have all these answers, but you're expected to comply. 
And that is the case with the next uh, regulation that's due at the end of this year. So there is a lot of time to comply, but it's called the gag clause attestations. I wrote a Bolton blog about this. They're due in December of this year, where essentially, uh, because of these transparency efforts, gag clauses are prohibited. And I'll give you an example. So when a provider enters into a, an agreement with a health insurer or a provider network or a hospital system, there's a lot of secrecy regarding pricing. And uh, in the contract between the carrier and the provider network, there is language that that's what they call the gag clause. You cannot talk about pricing to others in the market, competitors and, and whatnot. And that's caused a lot of frustration. So the federal government says no more. You can no longer have gag clauses as of December of 2020. And now they want group health plans to go online and submit an attestation by the end of this year in 2023. And essentially you're attesting to the fact that there were no gag clauses in your provider contracts. Um, and if you're a fully insured plan, or if you have a fully insured health plan here, you're not going to be able to attest to that without knowing if your carrier has one in place. So your carrier has to say, Hey, we don't have any, we comply. And then, um, then you may have to go and click on this link and fill out the gag clause attestations. Each carrier is taking a different stance with regards to, you know, whether the carrier will do it on your group health plan's behalf or whether the carrier is going to obligate you to do that instead. And the early consensus, actually we don't have a consensus. Aetna, is the first that came out and gave their clients instructions saying, we will not fill this out for you. You will have to do it, but we are giving you a statement that we are complying with the gag clause uh, regulations. And so then you take their statement and you follow their instructions and you have to make that attestation by the end of this year. The Pregnant Workers Fairness Act has begun to get a lot more attention than it did when it was first passed because it became effective as of June 27th of this year, so very recently. Um, and Fisher Phillips put out a great article on this topic. For those that are in California and you you're covering California workers, or you have California workers, of course, you already probably have these protections in place because California has a state law with regards to this. Uh, and, but you need to ensure that your policy with regards to it is um, across the nation, across all your workers, and that it complies with the PWFA. So that article will link you to a lot of good information on how to comply. Medicaid redeterminations. Kaiser sent an email to its group clients uh, notifying them that Medicaid and Medi-Cal have begun to disenroll participants. And so they expect to see more membership because of this. And this is because during COVID, 
there was a provision which allowed Medicaid and Medi-Cal to carry on without an annual renewal or redetermination. So those individuals who should have been uh, disenrolled due to having other coverage or, or other factors, they, were, they just continued as is. And now that COVID-19 is over for the federal government, the Medicaid redeterminations have to start again. So in California, we began disenrollments this month here in July, and 225,000 individuals thus far have been disenrolled from Medi-Cal. As of yesterday, based on the most current data from 37 states, 38% of people with Medicaid renewals were disenrolled. What does this mean for you as the employer, as the group health plan? Well, just know that a loss of Medi-Cal or Medicaid, it does create a qualifying event for the employee or their family members to join the employer's plan mid-year. I've gotten a lot of questions regarding the new I-9 form or the, and also the expired flexibility. Now, I-9s are really in that employment law area. They sit right in the middle of employment law and our expertise has to do with insurance. Uh, but I've gotten these questions and Fisher Phillips wrote another great article that I found easy to read regarding what's new. So the new I-9 form is available August 1st and employers must start using that new version by November 1. And you can, we can read all about that in the link that I've, I've uh, put up on the screen there. The last one is with regards to EEO1 reporting. This one uh, kind of went under the radar. The reporting deadline was moved again to sometime in fall of 2023. So if you were preparing to complete your reporting, the portal will not be open until sometime in fall of 2023. I know that's not very clear. Uh, sometime, I, I like how they say just fall of 2023, just keep your eye out for that. It has been delayed. And Fisher Phillips did put out an article on that, and so I've linked it there as well. All right, well, that was a lot. That was a lot of news updates for July, I would say. We might have even more for August and September as you know, the legislature moves things through before their break. And then the governor, uh, governors typically sign a lot of new legislation in the September time range. So we'll, we'll watch out for more, some more to come. I wanted to, to go over a few questions I got last month. The first one is with regards to paid data transparency. I had someone email saying that they noticed that not all California companies post the job range, the, the job salary range. I have noticed that too. I went on, I was very curious how many employers were going to comply or change their practices. So I went on LinkedIn and I thought, oh, wow, there's not a lot, not a lot of, or, well, I wish that there's a decent amount, but there's also for that, you know, maybe 50% are, are complying and 50% aren't. Those are my rough estimates. So there are some California companies not complying, and this person wanted to know, are there any penalties for employers who do not post salary range? Yes, yeah, someone, someone also just uh, corroborated that there's not a lot of compliance with that law. So uh, I'm glad you noticed what I'm, I'm noticing as well. And I think the, the penalty, 
I think that might be the reason why, right? Um, so let's go over the penalty. So the employee themselves, they can report and file a complaint with the DLSE. So they can do that within one year of the date they learned of the violation, or they can file a, a civil action. Gosh, I hope it wouldn't come to that. Um, but if the DLSE finds that the employer did indeed violate the law, employers may be subject to a, a penalty of $100 to $10,000 per violation. And, but, but importantly, here's the last sentence. No penalty shall be assessed for a first violation where an employer shows um, that they fixed the issue. That's essentially what that's saying. Um, that if the employer shows that all the job postings for all the positions have been updated to include the pay scale, then DLSE will not impose any penalties for that very first violation. So therein might be the reason why we're not seeing a ton of compliance. I would say that the DLSE is going to sit back kind of figure out where this is all going to land the first year or two. And then we may see penalty increases just depending on how invested the DLSE and the state of California is to, to bring compliance to the market. That was a great question though. It's a good talking point. I had this question last month, but I want to read it again because I know that you're being approached by or likely being approached by marketers of LTC products. And I want to say this in a few different ways so that you, you know the bottom line. So here's what I've been asked. What am I hearing about the upcoming California LTC insurance, so long-term care? Is there any news regarding what options employers have that will allow their employees to opt out of the state-mandated coverage? Okay, is there any news? No. There's not been any news, but I can give you a little bit uh, um, to hang your hat on. So California has this LTC task force, and they submitted a feasibility report in late uh, December of 2022. And the feasibility report just said, oh, hey, we could have a program, and here's what the program might look like, and here's what we would consider for plan design. And there were a ton of different options that they would consider. So you can't narrow it down. There were several. And the next step for the task force is to submit an actuarial report by 2024. So the actuarial report is numbers. It's the math behind the feasibility report. And that means that we're going to find out how much will it cost to put all of these plan design considerations into an actual program. And then once that actuarial report is submitted, which is due in 2024 at the beginning, then legislators can take that information and introduce a bill in the House or the Senate. So I've said that because I want you to know there's no bill to, to vote on. There's no language. There's no text of what a program might look like. Do I think that there will be a California uh, administered and, and, and payroll tax funded LTC program. I think so. California doesn't like to be left behind and Washington was very innovative in their program. I think California is, is, is willing to consider this and vote on this and pass it, but that doesn't mean that it will. I'm just speculating. 
And if there will be an opt-out provision, that's not been answered. There's no guarantee that there will be an opt-out provision. Now, the feasibility report that was submitted, it does discuss an option for opt-out, but it does not guarantee one. And it even says maybe there shouldn't be an opt-out provision. Maybe there should just be a, a, you know, a, a scaled-back option for those that have other coverage. But the bottom line is nothing is certain right now. I couldn't even tell you when we'd have a program, and certainly we can't tell you what that program would look like or how much it would cost. We have to wait until at least 2024, and things might happen quickly in 2024 once that actuarial report is submitted. So I think the soonest, the soonest we would have an actual program would be 2025, but I would consider that very ambitious, and I hope that they don't pass a program into law that would be effective in 2025 because that's just not enough time to, to get ready. But we will see. We will see. Anyone that, that says they know for sure what's going to happen or if they even imply that they know for sure what the program will look like, they are misleading you, and that, that worries me. So I hope that's not happening out there. I did have a question about the, the new Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, PWFA, and the question is, is the employee still protected under CIFRA or FMLA, even if the employee doesn't meet eligibility of those programs? Or does the PWFA have a similar policy as FMLA or CIFRA where they guarantee their job and rate of pay? No, actually the PWFA is narrow in focus. It focuses on accommodation accommodations uh, during a pregnancy and applies to all employees that work for a covered employer, which is employers that have 15 or more employees. The EEOC put out a great article on this that's easy to follow, gives you good information about to prepare you for what's next and to make sure that you're complying. And to be clear, the PWFA does not interfere or intersect with CFRA uh, or FMLA. On a side note, some states already have laws that require pregnancy accommodations, including California. So it's likely that you already have a pregnancy accommodation policy because California requires one. And uh, if that covers everyone broadly, then you don't, then you may not even have to change a thing, but you definitely want to check it out. All right. And um, I have a question here. It, regarding, it looks like it's regarding insurance companies that have left California. The question is, are they planning to leave other states as well? And the answer is yes, yes. We are seeing a lot of activity where they are planning to leave other states. We talked about Texas. Uh, looks like we've got some insurers ready to vacate there. And this is, this is pr mainly property, property insurance. Um, so yes, definitely. But we have to keep an eye out because we don't, um, we don't know. And I anticipate that, you know, every week we'll, we'll hear more information about this in, in other states. Before we leave today, I just want to point you to a few resources you might find helpful. If you would like to subscribe to the Bolton blog, I've got the link here. You just scroll down to the bottom and enter your email address. And if you subscribe, you get all of those nice state and federal level updates. If you have benefit-related questions, so if, you, if Bolton is your broker for your benefit plans, please feel free to contact your team, your service team. 
And for Bolton clients, you do have access to minerals. So that's a good resource for the latest employment news, uh, including the, the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. And if you want to know how other states are unwinding Medicare and how many individuals are being disenrolled from Medicaid across the country, you can check out this Medicaid Enrollment and Unwinding Tracker. So I've linked that there, and it'll take you to a chart of the states, and you can click on each state, and it also summarizes information too. And lastly, I wanted to link the Fisher Phillips PWFA articles. I thought they were very easy to read. There are two of them. I think it gives you everything you need to know. So I hope that is helpful. That is it for today. Thank you so much. I appreciate your attendance today, and I will see you. I won't see you next month. It'll actually be September. So no, no episode next month. It will be September, and I'm sure we will have lots to talk about. In the meantime, if you have any questions, you can pose those at askmichelle at boltonco.com. Thanks, everyone. Bye.